Harrison Price for Friday, October 20th, 2023. Coming to you from the GoGo Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're coming down for the game this week and the football game today, the soccer game tomorrow, make it a staycation. Call the hotel, 604-331-1000. Matt Sikaris alongside Blake Price. Grace Sass hitting switches, conducting things. The show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Nissan Richmond, Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey. You can finance the 23 Rogue from 3.99%. Lease or finance the 23 or 24 Leaf from 6.99%. Then over at a Infinity in the Richmond Auto Mall, lease a 23 QX50 from 3.49%. Or a 23 QX60 from 2.99%. Because it's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question today. And there have been limited times in the near 12-year history of this program where we have had the same person in consecutive poll questions. That's true. But when we came in this morning and started discussing what are we going to do for the poll question, I mean, Tyler Myers was so at the center of that loss last night in Tampa Bay. We... uh, we had no choice. So, what's the best course of action with Tyler Myers? Cut his ice time, healthy scratch, and yesterday we asked, will he be a healthy scratch? More on that in a second. Trade him or leave him alone? What says you, Blake Price? Um, I think you leave him alone mm-hmm. and try to surround him with better players, um, changing I mean, I guess that effectively becomes the changing the, of the ice time. Yeah, but you need to acquire somebody else in order. To, you, you don't just do, do that. You? you don't just do that now. Yeah, because, do you? Yeah, I think okay. you do. Because I, I think giving that ice time, giving five more minutes to Friedman, isn't no. isn't a solve. No. But uh, I, I'm at the point where you have to try one of those lefties on the right side. And Sue Circle, you have to. But only we know. Only Rick Tockett knows. Pardon me, if that's Blake, actually a possibility. Blake and. and uh, Thomas Drance did the math. Quinn Hughes has been on the ice 95 minutes and 43 seconds this season. No goals. No goals against. (laughs) So guess what? He can deal with a left-handed defenseman playing his right side who may not be 100% comfortable there. Yeah. Then you play the other one, whether it's Susie or Cole with Roenick, you appropriately slot Myers on the third pair. Suddenly he's playing five, six, seven minutes less per night, whatever the case may be, and you're better off. Now, yesterday, and more than a thousand votes on this, will Tyler Myers be a healthy scratch this season? Yes, got 72% of the vote. I think a lot of that is wishful thinking. And I think a lot of people voted on the poll question after that giveaway on the penalty kill last night. I will. Give this to Myers. He made himself accessible last night to Thomas Trance, who I see is, I guess, the only visiting reporter. Yes. Or the only uh, which traveling is an unbelievable reporter. Unbelievable thing the only in itself. Reporter. Um, you know, outside of the team, uh, the broadcast crew. Um, <laughs> you know, the responses for the sanity of Canucks fans everywhere, it's actually doing us a favor. Zhao, hopefully he's traded before then. Jack, dare to dream. Cole, if he keeps this up, long-haired bastard, I hope so. 
the comments were all along those lines. I don't think it's going to come to that because of the lack of better options on the right side. And, hey, say what you will about Mark Friedman. He was put in a difficult spot last night, but I'm not sure he's the answer. I'm not sure Noah Juleson's the answer. No. You can hope, fingers crossed, and this is a hell of a wish bet, but Cole McWard, Jet Wu, Philip Johansson, the righties who are down at Abbotsford, maybe somebody from that lot, because they're young enough, improves enough that you can drop them into the NHL lineup. And, and in fact, there's part of you that wonders, would McWard be worse at this point? Seen a lot of that as well. I don't have underlying stats down on the farm, but he is a plus four on the season through two games, Cole McWard, mm-hmm. for whatever that's worth. And making matters worse for Myers, after hitting Pedersen with a shot Tuesday in Philadelphia, and look, again, I'll give him credit. He stood in there, he took the questions from Drance, and he joked that it was the right process, it was the wrong outcome when he joined that scrum by the boards with Elias Patterson and wound up checking his own teammate to allow Tampa the chance and get them the fourth goal, which turned out to be the winner. He did say it's not a matter of confidence. His head's in a good place right now. That he thought he had less time than he did on the mistake on the, uh, what was it, the second goal? think he probably felt like there was some pressure coming from his right side and so that's why he throws it up the boards and into more lightning players but that's what sometimes goes down as you get to be an older player that antennae of knowing mm-hmm. um exactly because he wasn't under pressure really. he wasn't no he wasn't at all. Um, he thought and, he had he thought he had less time and and having that awareness getting that pre-scan quickly like that's what that's what declines when you get older reaction time and and, and 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 just again that sense that of, the game sense it it, it dulls a little bit, mm-hmm. and I think we're seeing that from from Tyler Myers who was never a perfect defenseman. I take you back to the nope. moment he was acquired and signed by the Canucks. Nope. Craig J. Button told us emphatically he's a lot better as a third pairing guy, mm-hmm. and that was then. Oh yeah, I mean that was with a player in his late twenties. Yeah. That he was his numbers skewed way better in Winnipeg when he was on the third pairing, mm-hmm. and again the Canucks thought they could extract top four kind of minutes out of that guy. I mean, you can almost argue his best season was his rookie year when he won the Calder Trophy. Well, he was a different H- player. Him though. and Dion Phaneuf, like you can honestly argue their best years were yeah. their first years in the National. Absolutely, in the National Hockey League. So I'm for cutting his ice time. You're for leave him be or cut his ice time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports. Odds Bodog, line of the day. Vancouver Whitecaps FC tomorrow at home. Decision day against LAFC. As we know, they can't sink any lower than six. Ty really doesn't do them any good. So I'm going to go Caps win at plus 130, and I'm going to take the over here of three and a half. Because it's got all the hallmarks of being a fun, wide-open, go-for-the-win, go-for-goals game on your Bodog line of the day. Back to the Canucks here. And first of all, four points through eight games isn't good enough. Okay, 82 points is not going to make you a playoff team, anything but. 
So now we're now we're looking at a scenario whereby you have more pressure heaped on you going into this game tomorrow against the Florida Panthers. And of course, in the road trip finale against the Nashville Predators on Tuesday. And then, Blake, as we have seen many, many, many times, as our old friend, the sleep doctor, Pat Byrne, once taught us, that first game back after the long road trip at home, you still ain't right. So a week from tonight, their second home game of the season against the St. Louis Blues. Of these three, pressure to win probably a couple, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'll i say this. On, the, on this road trip, if they split these final two, and you go two and three on the mm-hmm. season opening, I'm. I don't yep. think you, I don't think you're crying in your beer over Just, that. Just no. You're three and three through six games. Hell of a lot better than oh five and two. Well, yeah. So as we always say, the early part of the season, you want to be in position to be in position right. later in the season. Just don't lose position, which is what they have done for the last few Octobers running. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or I shouldn't say October because three years ago it was the Canadian Division January, if I'm not mistaken. But the first month of the season, just main, make sure you're in position. The bar's been so low make that sure you're, you'll, you'll take the two-and-two two yeah. record. You, you, you make sure you're within arm's reach of the playoff bar, right? But, but you're, you're right to Just po- don't sink yourself. You're right to point out the first game back because it's also right before the second game back. So you get the two days off right mm-hmm. after Nashville next Tuesday. You get two days off to acclimatize. Like you'll be in your bed for Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. To sleep, and you don't play until Friday night. So maybe that guards against the the first game back from a road trip thing. But then you're back to back Blues on Friday, Rangers on Saturday, and Blake. You better I, be right. I can't remember a lot of Friday Saturday back to back home games with the Canucks. No, that's well, pretty yeah. odd. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think they only played two Friday games the entirety of this year. I thought they played a few more Friday games last year. I actually like the Friday games at Rogers Arena. It's a good crowd in there. But Friday, Saturday, double dip is kind of fun. Yeah. There's, there's one in November, too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. get used to uh, a fun slot. I mean, we pointed this out when the schedule was released. All the Saturday games. My goodness. They cannot look like the Toronto Maple Leafs this year. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing about them through four games. And it's too small a sample size to draw any large conclusions. Everyone will acknowledge that. It's also all we have to go on with this new group. Patterson, two more assists last night. Eight points, tied for the NHL lead with Alex Dabrinkit. And the only Canuck, other than a twin, to have six assists through four games to start an NHL season. He's been extraordinary and may well be battling through something after taking that minor shot Tuesday. Outside of opening night, I thought he's been average. So if this is average Elias Patterson, well, he's been a point per game guy since that night. I know. Yeah. No. I just, in terms of judges, what you're cards, saying is their upside. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, but if he, he gets on a heater, what does this look like? But you know? he, he's two points a game, so yeah. there's no flies on Elias Patterson. He's been good. Rick Tockett called the GT Miller line dominant last night, and I think you can argue that's been their best trio through four games. As we talked about, it's a good mix, particularly offensively on that line, with DiGiuseppe doing all the grunt work and willingly, and Miller and Besser both being good passers, both being good scorers, or at least capable scorers. Not to mention the fact the defensive assignment with that line has been tough, 
Of course, two of these four games against Connor McDavid for the most part. And the results are good there too. Thatcher Demko, once again, bunch of spectacular saves last night. So really, we are back to the same old, same old narrative with the Vancouver Canucks. Bottom six, not scoring enough. And talk it was asked last night about that line with Suter, Beauvillier, and Joshua. And he was asked, look, you know, what have you thought of them? And there hasn't been a lot of production there. Can you live with what they're giving you? And he said, yeah, you can live with it for a while. You know, just be a neutral line. Make sure you're not losing the battle for us. But at some point, you need production out of that unit. And Beauvillier has been a big zero on that score so far. Well, Hoglander got caved in last night on all fronts. Not, uh, not on the ice for single shot four at 5v5. 12-2 mm-hmm. for shot attempts. But, I mean, it was... Not on the good. fourth line. But, I mean, he's three points in four games, and he wasn't good last night. You're absolutely right. The fourth line's been okay. But Suter and Beauvillier are zeros right now. And, you know, this is one of the things that we brought up in the last couple of weeks. If you're going to trade Connor Garland, I know they're getting Ilya Mikheyev back. But if you're going to trade Connor Garland and not bring a winger back, you heap more and more pressure on guys like... Beauvillier, like McKip, like Joshua, like DiGiuseppe, who aren't exactly the most gifted offensive players or scorers. They're going to have to carry more load on the offensive side of the puck. So the bottom six, you get in the outage, and you still got mighty troubles on defense whenever anyone not named Quinn Hughes or Philip Ronick is out there. Teddy Bluger have a broken foot? I, I think it, yeah, I think it's a, I don't know what he has, but I, I I suspect it is worse than initially. Because we're not even seeing him on the ice. Like he's not taking line rushes with anybody. Like he's not even on the trip, as far as we understand, right? I thought he was on the trip, but I stand to be mistake uh, corrected on that. So well, I mean, he of course he got hurt on the same shift Carson Susie got hurt in preseason. Then he tried to go in practice and, and then they 15 minutes and, they scurried him off the ice yeah. and that was that so and, and talk has acknowledged that it was worse than he thought in week to week but i mean he, and talk has been happy with the penalty kill he said the numbers are not representative and, and for the most part i understand what he's saying and i will give him that like but at some point Again, the results have to be there on what was the league's worst unit last year. Dreadful the year before that. And still, I mean, 72.2% is not very good. Yeah, Bluger didn't travel. Didn't travel? In his week to week. Okay. Um, One other positive from last night's game. Brock Besser continues to mm-hmm. shoot pucks, yep. continues to look oh. like a goal scorer in right places. Yep. And had a chance to tie it late on that backhand. A last on a backhand. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, that, he still looks like Brock Besser, which is... <laughs> Sorry, you'll have to be more specific. Yes. Brock Besser? Origi- OG Brock OG Besser. Brock? Yeah. OG BB? Yeah. <laughs> Rookie season Brock Besser. Yeah. So, 
so yeah, I, I mean, look, it's a work in progress. I think we all knew that. How about this from Drance too? And, and I do wonder whether there's there's more to the story here. I would got to consult someone who knows the X's and O's a little better here. Second periods on this road trip, they are being outshot fifty eight to sixteen. So is there something about the long change in the second period that is troubling them? Because that's another and, and last night the second period looked like it was gonna turn out pretty good for the first, Canucks. first ten minutes were good. You get it for a couple of early goals and you're thinking, okay, look yeah. at this. And talk and praise the effort last night. They were in the fight. They competed harder than they did in Philadelphia. But then those two leg goals. And the one goal, um, so the third goal, no, the second goal, the tying goal, down the left, uh, down the left wing there. I mean, Garland leaves his posts and goes over and chases, and then Mark Friedman playing his first game as a Vancouver Canuck. I mean, he gives. He gives uh, the Tampa Bay forward too much space down the left wing. Okay. Demko maybe a little culpable on that as well. I heard Shorty say that maybe he lost his net a little. But that's a great example, I think, of what Tockett is trying to preach here, that you know the foot bone's connected to the leg bone, connected to the hip bone. Garland makes that mistake, overcommitting on the off wing. Friedman gives him a little too much space. And then Demko drifts or wanders a little too much and the next thing you know it's behind the behind the goalie in your net close yeah close but those are the little mistakes that are going to cost you i i suppose the good news for the canucks is that they're not the edmonton oilers right now who are licking their wounds yet again blake yeah you get destroyed on opening night eight one and then last night post game Jay Woodcroft, just intermittent F-bomb as he was trying to explain the proceedings in a 4-1 loss against the Philadelphia Flyers. And look, it's the beginning of the season. You know Tortorella has their attention, and they're playing John Tortorella hockey. They're probably not as good as their record is now. They're not the most talented team. But they're playing with effort, as we saw, against the Canucks Tuesday and as they did last night against Edmonton. So who'd have thought Edmonton would be one and three with all regulation losses on their uh, on their resume? That was the other thing, you know. Can I just get a point out of that game last night? You're okay. Yeah, it changes your tenor and your narrative. Yeah, completely, bit. completely. Because mm-hmm. then, then you're really only pointing to one bad game, right? As for Garland, um, Winnipeg has been mentioned. Nick Kiprios, JT Bourne is a potential destination. It sounds like it's Washington though. Washington seems to be the team and Washington's not off to a very good start either here. We'll see where this goes, but it does sound like there's more urgency and that the file is moving quicker than one might have suspected when you heard of the trade request and went, ah, three more years, five million per on the cap, 17 in cash. They've been trying to trade him for a long time. No bites, no takers. There may well be a resolution there. The Canucks have released their black skate schedule. 
15 games. I mean, it's almost half the home games, huh? Would you ever go to a game because it's a black skate night? Uh, I wouldn't, but my better half would. Oh, okay. She loves the black skate. Okay. She has a Horvat jersey. Black skate. She's now wondering what to do with that jersey. Teddy Bluger's time. <laughs> I guess. Starts on Halloween against Nashville. We'll see it against the Oilers on November 6th. We'll see it on Hockey Day in Canada against the Toronto Maple Leafs in January. And we'll see it against Connor Bedard on the 22nd, which I first at first thought, oh, brilliant. Show it to the North Van kid. Let him know what he's missing out on so that when he becomes a free agent in seven or eight years, he'll sign here. Then it occurred to me he wasn't alive for Black Skate. No, there's, there's no, no feels for him. To see the black skate, mm-hmm. maybe a fascination, but you don't have that that actual. Do we have him on record that w- which he prefers, Orca no. skate, stick no, and ring? I don't think so. Flying V. I will say this: J. Pat's talked about it for years. If there is ever an occasion to bring back Flying V, it's a home game on Halloween. They have a home game on Halloween. They've decided to go skate. I'm afraid we're never seeing Flying V ever again. I don't think. And I. Opportunity missed. Did you see the Canucks. NBA players are starting to revolt against the NBA's revolving door of jerseys? They're like, you're you're losing brand awareness. It's too much. It's too much. It's too much. Yeah, yeah Kyle it is Kuzma. Too much. Yeah, it is too much. It is too much. And and, and you're right. Home like, away special, totally fine. With. Why can't they figure out that the, you don't? This is winter classic stuff, right? Oh, it worked. Let's do tons of it now. No, keep let's, it special. Let's saturate yeah. and dull the market. And, and juice it so that we can never go back to it again. Right. You know, like. Ridiculous. Here's the Kuzma tweet. Nike is ruining the nostalgia of jerseys. Every year it's a new jersey and what gets lost is brand identity. Yeah. You, you want to bleed for the shield, but when you're unclear what the shield what, is. Yeah, what is the shield? What is the logo? I thought our colors were purple and gold. How come tonight we're wearing silver? and Yes. Yeah. yeah. Lions tonight against Calgary at BC Place. Vernon Adams going to start. He practiced all week. There's a bit of a knee issue there, but he's going to fight through it, or at least we think he's going to fight through it. As we know, Lions need to win this one to give keep their slim hopes alive of hosting the West Final on November 11th. If they happen to lose tonight, you can already make plans for Saturday, November 4th, 3.30 p.m., the kickoff of the West Semi. Of course, Calgary is fighting for their playoff lives. They end Saskatchewan. Stamps and Saskatchewan are in a battle to see who will be the third-place team in the West and come, likely here to BC, to face the Lions in the West semi. Slot back Keon Hatcher, uh, he's going to dress, but he's fighting through something too, and if he can't play every snap, it's going to be Justin McInnes, the Canadian, who is taking that spot, and really, who slots in there, pun intended. Mm-hmm. And we should really shout out McInnes and Javon Coutoy because those two gigantic Canadian slotbacks have been a big reason why this Lions passing game has been as good as it has been. VA needs a big day, 320-plus yards, but he could reach 5,000 yards as a passer here. You're working the sidelines tonight? I am. Yeah, looking forward to it. I uh, I think there'll be some fireworks here. Calgary's uh, mm-hmm. a decent defense, but... Um, I I think the the Lions are pretty motivated to end this season properly. Yeah, so, yeah, I think um, so as well. 
and and I I don't know that there's belief in this uh, from the stamp side of things, and and they could very well prove me wrong here. But I, I think they've had a pretty deflating season. They they have. Big big win last week for sure for them. Broke a three game skid, I believe, for them. But I, I think if you if you get on them early, I think the stamps are gonna be like, oh darn. Well, and the other thing is is BC's already got two wins against Calgary already this year, one by blowout here at BC Place. They beat them last year in the playoffs, they beat them last year in the regular season. So, you know, I, I would have to think there's some Calgary players to look across say across the sidelines, but of course yes, they're on down the, the sidelines side now. <laughs> And go, these guys have our number. This is why I love doing sidelines now. No more walking No back more walking around, I know. It's beautiful. Sedentary. Really should but get a stool. how does Farhan greet his legions of fans in the end zones, typically, if he no longer has to walk around he does royal, He does royal wave. The yeah. royal wave from yeah. distance? Yeah. Or does he actually trek down and greet the fans? Oh, a little bit end? of that. I would hope that he does that. Yeah. yeah. Remember, if you're behind the benches, you can cat call Blake. Please do. He'll respond. Did you watch any of Thursday Night Football last night? It wound up being an okay game. I didn't. Um, it, yeah, I saw it was an okay game, and of course it was a total kind of hurt about oh. anything with Nathan Rourke because Lawrence was not only healthy, yeah. he was good, he was and great. he was active. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like, he even ran the ball. Yeah. He even talked about it in the postgame. He goes, you know, the best late plans when you got a knee injury, you don't necessarily think you're going to be on the run all day, but yeah. This game turned out I had to use my legs more than we had hoped. I saw Derek Carr was getting clowned pretty hard. Well, look, and Morrow drops that ball in the end zone, which, you know, cries. But when he starts losing his mind at Chris Olave, and look, Olave didn't have a great game last night either. But that ball is deep and it's wide. So even if Olave doesn't quit on the route, and he may not have quit on the route, it may have just been a miscommunication. Even if he doesn't quit on the route, he's not catching that ball, Derek. So if you're going to go and start blistering him on the field and then continue it on the sidelines, and incidentally, that's a terrific young receiver. A first-round pick. Promise you, Derek, he's going to be there longer than you. That's right. You know, there's another quarterback behind you, too, that may get a chance here. Winston, Jameis, former first overall. So I thought it was a little much from Carr. I would suspect that Carr is frustrated here with himself as much as he's frustrated with some of that receiving group. And that's why you saw the demonstration that you did. Soccer. Christine Sinclair. And just the absolute perfect on-brand Christine Sinclair Instagram post. The hanging cleats. Hanging cleats, no caption. Mm -hmm. She has never been the chattiest. No, it's true. 190 goals, FIFA's all-time world world goal scorer, 327 caps for Canada. Arash Madani reporting that the plan is to have two send-off matches for Sinclair in Vancouver and Victoria. Manuel Veth reporting it will be December 1st at Starlight in Langford and then the 5th or 6th at BC Place. I suspect there will be a big push to pack these stadiums. I would suspect all the community soccer associations will be invited, contacted to send Christine off with some huge crowds and all sorts of affection and love. 
I'm sure it'll be pretty, Burnaby uh, native. pretty cheap tickets, too. I'm sure there will not be a gouge here. I think they want just to have mm-hmm. a send-off of all send-offs with a full with a full uh, stadium. So, yeah, I, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, go check out Madani's piece on Sportsnet, one of the most consequential, influential athletes in Canadian sports history, and clearly one of the best. It's funny. The news broke during the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame gala in Gatineau last night and had that room chattering. And that's some of the best and brightest in Canadian sport who attended. We should clarify, too, this is retiring from international soccer. She's still going to be playing for the Portland Thorns. Yes. Whitecaps tomorrow, decision day, 6 p.m. kickoff against LAFC. We've explained it all week. Vancouver cannot sink any lower than the sixth place they currently hold down. A tie and a Real Salt Lake loss gets them into fifth. But they have designs on home pitch for the first round, a best of three in the MLS, which means they need a win, which means you're rooting for Portland over Houston, St. Louis over Seattle, Colorado over Real, Salt Lake. And it's funny, it's a, a Vancouver win forces Houston and Salt Lake to win to keep station, and it forces Seattle to tie to keep station. It, Losses from those teams and a Vancouver win, you've got your upward mobility. Yes, it, sir. It, it's it's kind of funny too because normally in these sorts of situations, you're 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 oh you got to climb the ladder so you get you know easier foe in the first round. Everybody's separated by a point. Like it really doesn't matter. You you you're going to twist yourself into knots trying to uh, orchestrate the quote unquote easy first round matchup for yourself. So you, that all said, like. Real has looked terrible. They've lost to two non-playoff teams. If they tie or draw again this week against Colorado, who's also terrible, that's kind of who I'd like to play. And and who amongst all these teams has beaten Vancouver twice, twice this season? Real Salt Lake. Real Lake. So, yeah. again, like you, you never know. Sometimes a team just matches up well against you, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, again, I, I think you throw that kind of thinking out the window like we would normally think and just say, go for the three points. Because the most important thing that they're playing for right now is the two games at home. That's what they're playing for. So, got to win. The only way you're going to win is scoring goals. Um, so I think there's going to be fireworks. And how about this from hard journalists yesterday? She asked both Brian White of the Whitecaps and former cap Max Craig now of LAFC, about the best of three playoff format. Listen to the answers. Brian White, who's American, I think it's an interesting new model, similar to a lot of the other sports in American culture, baseball, basketball, hockey, where they have these game series. Hopefully it brings more eyes, attention to the league. Craig The political answer is I've seen it. Max Crapo, the third person reference, will say, I'm not a fan of it. I don't like it, but it is what it is. Soon we're going to do a best of seven. Then the season will finish December 31st and the preseason will be January 5th. It is a short off season, point taken there, Max. Yeah. But hey, the LAFC keeper wants to be griping about the playoff format in advance of this match, whereas White's like, yeah, sure, whatever, bring it on. Also, Max, you barely played this season because of your injury. Like, you got, you've got a full tank. <laughs> like, you're not tired. Don't give me that. <laughs> Max, you're the keeper. You're not the guy running around for 90 minutes. Yeah. With all due respect. Let's get to today's menu brought to you by AG1. And folks, uh, hey, you, you want a little extra energy? You want gas in your tank? Uh, that can be uh, uh, what uh, AG1 gets you. So, you know, for a foundational nutritional supplement, um, maybe in a, an immune boost of sorts, an energy boost, drink AG1. Go to drinkag1.com slash and Price and get your special offer. Price is right coming up. We'll speak to Frank Saravelli, our NHL insider, on Fridays, and we'll talk to Frank about all the ex-Penguins here on the Vancouver Canucks, as well as uh, 
anything on Connor Garland. Hashtags the best and worst of Twitter. Jeff Patterson joins us. We rehashed the loss in Tampa last night and point forward with some of these players like Myers, Bovillier, Kuzmenko, Elias Patterson. And a reminder, if you can't make it to the games this weekend, why don't you check them out at Greta Bar on Cordova. It's a great spot to catch the games throughout the season. The playoffs, of course, are coming up in a couple of leagues and a place to chill in the offseason. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Workshop Spirits, and Yellow Dog has been brewing up a little surprise. Angry Otter Lager. It's a crisp, clean, and crushable lager enjoyed by dogs and otters alike. You can find this tasty brew at all Angry Otter locations. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a Yellow Dog Neighborhood or Workshop Spirit. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Time now for The Price is Right, and this is going to get interesting for the Canucks front office. The Canucks season through four games has already been a roller coaster, highs and lows, but without some help on the blue line, it could be a tilt-the-whirl in no time. question is what to do with this gaping hole on the right side of the top four. The previous administration certainly would have been willing to trade draft capital, even prospects, to better their lot in life and make it to the promised land, which, by the way, is the playoffs, not the cup final. No, no, no. The cup is a ways off right now. But still, what will this management group do? I know I'd be tempted. This market, the owner, desperate to be in the postseason again. But will that desperation force them into what will still likely be a middling move at the price of the future. The Canucks are in a better place cap-wise than they've been. Certainly not out of the woods, but better. Still, they have to be building in the background while they simultaneously get better at the NHL level. They aren't done the retool, rebuild, whatever this is. So are you ready for them to trade a grade-A prospect or a first-round pick to get a decent right-shot defenseman that may or may not be a player for them in the long term? The cupboard isn't exactly so full that it requires things removed. Again, though, I get the temptation. And the Elias Pettersson contract situation cannot be extracted from this. Remember, EP40 wants to see progress, wants to see the winning and the playoffs are not far away. Heck, he probably wants to see that it's all arrived. So to protect that asset, do they actually need to peel a pick or prospect to get better? Is that even enough? Because not only do they need to pay a cost to acquire this player, whoever this is, they'll likely need to pay an additional cost to create the cap space for that player. It could all come in the same transaction, but the possibility of multiple pieces being needed is there and likely is the reality. In other words, the price won't be right. But should they or will they pay it anyway? The answer may very well be yes, and it'll be hard to blame them. I see what you did there. That is the price is right, though. 
Mm. Any feedback, send it to the Great Clips inbox, 778-402-9680. Great Clips, the official hair salon of the NHL. Remember, everyone, you're not wrong. You're just not as right as him. Correct. Um, I was driving home the other day, and it crossed my mind that we may well do a poll question at some point this year. Wheelander, Lakiramaki, the 24 first or the 25 first. Yep. Which one? Honest to God, it's a very real possibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Like, You've crossed that bridge with the Ronick acquisition, yeah. right? And we know the owner is impatient. The mandate, you have to be a playoff team, despite you know trying this many times and failing. And, and, and I'd have to search for viable candidates. But to say Devon Taves had not re-signed, mm. say he was still languishing there as a free agent to be, a player like that, if you peeled the Karamaki for an unsigned Devon Taves, would people be pissed? I mean, if it was an eight-year deal, they might, because there'd be a lot of dead years at the back end of that. But in the here and now, I think people would be pretty pretty stoked about it, right? So, you know, that kind of deal, it's still, trust me, it's not by the textbook. It's not like, oh, no. slam dunk, you do that. Serious risk involved. But given where this team is at and the Pedersen mm-hmm. situation, would you blame them? Well, the fact of the matter is, is they made a lot of moves that robbed from Peter to pay Paul. Yep. And Peter's coming with his IOUs right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why you're in the predicament you are. So do you want to further exacerbate that? You know, the Canucks might feel like they're pot committed and have to. Yep. And, you know, then you get into the darker side of the business, and we saw this from betting towards the end, does Alvin get to the point where he's managing to save his own bacon? Right. I don't think we're there yet. No, but we're not. We're but, not. But, um, but, will, but yes, that, that has happened. Will that be a course of action that is considered mm-hmm. or taken yeah. because of the pressures of this franchise? Not this market, this franchise and the people above you in ownership. Because this is the first year where I don't think there's any bones about it. This is the Alvin and Rutherford Canucks. Like, they, mm-hmm. they, they've had enough time, yeah. and there's been enough transactions made now where the people that are, are are have been brought in, those are your people. And the other core players are are viable NHL stars or great players that you've chosen to keep for your own reasons. So this is your team. If it's, make, if it's missing the playoffs, you've missed the playoffs. With the exception of expansion GMs, Every GM inherits a hand. Some are better than others. Yeah. This was by no means a great hand. No, it was not. But you're two years in. Yeah, it's on you. You have to. You've had occasion to fix the mess. Yeah. You don't. In get- some cases, you have. In other cases, you've added to it. And, and we get it. The Oliver Ekman Larson hit. But, I mean, that's a perpetual hit now. Get used to that. So you're not going to outrun the... This GM... Another GM will inherit that. Right, exactly. This GM will not see the end of the OEL payout. So um, that's that's just death and taxes right there. Here's some price from All Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And I know I've been having so much fun in a plug-in hybrid. Maybe you're looking to go full EV. Applewood Kia can help you with that. Nero EVs and EV6 in stock right now at Applewood Kia in Surrey and Langley, or maybe the 2024 Sportage, which is available from 5.99% financing. Check it all out at Applewood because it's all good at Applewood. 
Bulldog poll question. What's the best course of action with Tyler Myers? Cut his ice time, healthy scratch, trade, or leave him be? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Bodog line of the day for me. You know, P. Carroll acknowledged after the loss in Cincinnati that all the offensive line injuries finally caught up with his club. Abraham Lucas, the right tackle's been out. Now the center, Evan Brown, not practicing. The guard, Phil Haynes. So just so beat up against that offense on that offensive line. I don't think Arizona is much, but I'm getting more than a touch. I'm getting eight points, and every Seahawks game is close, right? So mm-hmm. give me the Cardinals plus eight on your Bodog line of the day. Joined now by our Friday regular NHL insider from the Daily Faceoff, the Frankly Speaking podcast, Mr. Frank Cervelli. Got a baseball team in the NLCS. He's got a pretty good hockey team in his town right now. Well, how about Taurus? FIFA soccer. Philly's oh been God. Philly's been off the You're hook the lately. Hub of yeah. North American sports right now, Frank. Just ask. Uh, I, I gave. I, I ran into an extra pair of tickets at the NLCS game the other night. The Canucks happened to be in town. I hit up a, a Thomas Drance, and he was able to go to the game. He texted me yesterday and said he's still is like, can't get Philly out of his head. That's how much he enjoyed being in town. So mm-hmm. I was like, huh, see, someone had good vibes in this town for once, and maybe they can tell people about it. We, we, we've had a great time, uh, you know, attending uh, Philly's games. So like, yeah. I love Philly as a sports town. Well, and you've got a reputation of being this tough, merciless sports crowd, and yet the Phillies games look like just the biggest party going right now. They are. It's it's been unbelievable the the energy vibes and it's it takes over a whole city. Like everything starts to not really feel as bad when your team goes on a run like that. It's two, three, four weeks of of euphoria. It's been amazing to be around. Sunday night they're hosting the game in the NFL weekend. Uh, Dolphins and Eagles too. five and one. Are are people starting to fall in love with Torts's Flyers here too after these big wins? I don't. Nope. Think so because I think everyone knows in the grand scheme of the NHL picture of where they are. But here's the thing that I thought was super interesting, and I was at the Flyers game last night. They had a lifeless Oiler team that was in town, and to see the reaction from Jay Woodcroft, who dropped an f bomb, he was so frustrated with his team's play. And then to compare and contrast that to Rick Tockett 48 hours earlier in the same building, the common thread there, and I said this to you guys a couple weeks ago, is that if you show up to Philly and you play the Flyers this year and you don't bring your hard hat and your lunch pail, good luck. They're definitely not the most talented team in the league. They're way short on that and actually by design. But... That's why I said John Tortorella is the worst coach for this team. You get Sean Couturier back and Cam Atkinson, and all of a sudden you have a team that has you know a bit of an edge to it. They're not going to be a free space on the bingo card. And if you come into town, and I love, that's why I love so much the reaction from Rick Tockett. Who are we after what the last few years have been like in Vancouver? Use the word soft. That's like, that's, that's like, the worst thing you can say about a hockey player or team. And it's true. That's what's that's I've been saying it to you guys. The Canucks have been easy to play against. Do not 
go down that path. Don't feel good about winning two games against the oil to start. And and we've been hearing this for several years, Frank. Like there are guys in that room who, you know, think they're better than what they are. And in some cases have treated the NHL as a finishing line, not a, not a starting gate. Of course, torts has their attention because it's early in the season. And so well, well done to the flyers for the effort here over the last couple of, of games against uh, Vancouver and Edmonton. That's how you're going to endear yourself to a market. Yeah. Talk. It was more nurturing last night. And this is one of the questions I wanted to ask you about him. Cause you know, him pretty well is I think there will be nights where he just can't help himself like Tuesday, but I think you'll know that the Vancouver Canucks are in a better place when he's addressing losses as he did last night, commending the effort saying, look, the penalty kill was better than what the actual results were. And being asked pointed questions about guys who have really struggled like Tyler Myers and yet making an effort to build them up a little bit. I think there's this visceral reaction that you'll get from Rick Tockett. And we we actually spoke about this a few weeks ago when we were working through his interview with me on Frankly Speaking, that sort of second game into his tenure, he's outside in Vancouver mumbling to himself on a street corner at two in the morning. It was game two. And then he sort of had to get cracked back into line. It's the competitive nature that he has. um, And there are a few things that there are a few things that he just doesn't tolerate Um, attention to detail and body language and work ethic. Like those are the non-negotiables you're going to, the hockey's a game of mistakes. Like you're going to make a ton of mistakes throughout the course of the season. He can live with that, but he can't live with not showing up to work. And when you so you sort of see that gut reaction right away, then like someone kind of has to take him and like, you know, get him back on the straight and narrow to say, Hey, this is not a four game fix for the Vancouver Canucks. This is a multi-layered process and approach that they're working towards that. I think you then see some of that come out the next game. They got a little bit more truculence with Mark Friedman, um, albeit, you know, not a true National Hockey League defenseman by any stretch, but they throw him right into the mix and he sort of got into a fight. He he got into a reception uh, more than he got into a fight. Um, You know, does that speak? Truculence is definitely not one way I would explain Mark Friedman, but sure. Yeah, you're right. I think he'd like to be truculent, but by all accounts, uh, what we saw last night is sort of more his calling. How would you describe him then, Frank? Yeah, yeah, sure. What are your ideas? You've seen him more than us. Yeah, so I I watched him. Well, he started actually here in Philly and then watched him a bit in Pittsburgh. He was a Ron Hextall guy that he brought over, and he's someone that actually skates really well. Um, He's pretty gifted with the puck, um, but he's got some inefficiencies in his game that have really kept him from being a full-time NHLer. There have been varying points in his career that people have advocated, hey, give this guy a longer runway and term uh, to really show what he's got but they can't really live with the mistakes and defensive zone issues that pop up that you know make him hard to keep in the lineup on a nightly basis. So I'd actually like to see him get a little bit more shot, especially with the puck, because I think he's got some talent. Um, and he's definitely not afraid, but I would never say truculence. Is, uh, is, is there another solution here for the Vancouver Canucks as you see it? Like, are, do you think a defenseman is part of their search with regards to to Connor Garland, for instance, uh, is is there more than Friedman coming here for the Canucks? In an ideal world, yes. In an ideal world, if you had the cap space and flexibility, 
you'd be able to grab one of the guys from Columbus that's been out there and in the mix. Um, this is kind of going back to what I was talking about roster construction wise preseason for the Canucks. And I thought they did a great job addressing it in the off season, the Susie injury, you know, kind of hurt to start, but you know, you take out and you look at what they were dealing with last season and you had guys four to six in your lineup on a nightly basis that are really what I would say, not to disparage anyone fringe NHL players to be able to cut that back down this season to one and have him play consistently to start in Juleson is, you know, you try and limit that as much as you can. You'd much rather have that guy be your seven injuries and everything else that pops up changes what that dynamic looks like. But if you can, you know, sort of slowly cut that out, it's hard to do it all in one fell swoop. Like the Canucks have tried to do this past off season. So it's going to constantly be a, um, you know, sort of a, a daily look at your lineup card and is this guy better than what we have? Is this guy the same as what we have? And I would say when you're talking about Mark Friedman, you're talking about a 5% improvement on Juleson. You're right. talking about, a, you're, you know, you're just trying to find someone to plug that hole for now until you can get to where you want to get to. I saw you tweet about this earlier. Of course, we have the ex-Penguins management group here and Friedman makes now five ex-Penguins that are right now with the Vancouver Canucks alongside Bluger, Cole, DeSmith, and Sam Lafferty. We heard a lot about this when Rutherford and then Alvin was hired, Frank, and I want your two cents on it. One, is it even possible to repeat the formula in Pittsburgh given that Rutherford and Alvin had Sidney and Malkin there, not to mention Marc-Andre Fleury and Chris Letang? And two, when you take a look at the way that the team was managed, particularly late in the tenure, there was sort of a lot of patchwork and let's hope to get by with this guy. Let's hope to get by with that guy and particularly on defense. So is it a repeatable formula? Is it even a formula you'd want to emulate for these guys here in Vancouver? I think the latter part is sort of what I've been asking myself and that's not to knock Teddy Bluger or I, and I, I'm a big Ian Cole fan and what he brings. And, you know, I think he's got some tread left on his tires I think the big thing that stands out to me is that a lot of the guys that they've grabbed from Pittsburgh are guys that Pittsburgh has sort of willingly walked from that they got to the end of the line and felt like they couldn't get any further and went in different directions. And so Teddy Bluger ends up being a trade deadline guy last year um, is in and out of the lineup in Vegas, smart player, good PK guy couldn't score. And so it's like, all right, let's, let's, we, we know we need to give this guy a raise. We're probably not going to Vancouver steps up and is the team to do it. When you've got very specific needs, like Vancouver did this last off season, trying to, you know, fix that PK. I get it. There's a familiarity there. You know that this is a really smart player and you hope that maybe if you fit him into a mix differently, that he can contribute some offense and, and be a more complete player. Um, I like the Casey to Smith one because sometimes like it's an, it's an individual case by case basis. Like to Smith was, you know, the perfect asset to grab at a time when Montreal had four goalies and they knew him. They, they knew that he would fit comfortably with Demko. They have the same agents. Like there's a lot of, you know, sort of taking the jigsaw puzzle, spreading the pieces out on the table and trying to make everything fit, even though there might be some jagged edges. And that's sort of what the role has been for Patrick Alvine and, and, and Jim Rutherford since taking over is like, 
they kind of had to tear down a lot and kind of had to work through a lot of roster inefficiencies in a way that a lot of teams would just like to just wipe the slate clean and move forward. They had contracts and term and things that were ugly that were, you know, kind of putting them in a tough spot to start that it's like they finally, I think this past summer got to a baseline roster that they felt comfortable with for the first time. And now it will be continuing to move around those edges to improve on the Garland front. Some, momentum seemed to be there on social media of all places but in reality do you feel like there's momentum in in the chase of that trade i i personally don't and and i when i say this like i i also know that things can change with one phone call yeah the teams that i've talked to actually like the player and if he were in the last year of his deal i think this would have been solved already a while ago i think the issue is it's the term and that's not a secret. It's that teams are looking two and three years down the line. Even teams like take a Chicago, for instance, go look at their, their page on cap friendly. They don't have any guys under contract when Garland's in the last year of his deal for good reason, because they want to be building towards this is the Connor Bedard, um, you know, we're launching pad. This is the moment when we become a playoff team again, they're not going to just take on a Connor Garland and have him ham up their cap to get a pick back because it doesn't really help them right now. So uh, that's the sort of spot that the Canucks have been in is that um, they can try and find another piece that's out of place somewhere else, whether it's Washington or whether it's San Jose or pick a team. It's just that the contracts aren't lining up that make it so that this can be an equally dangerous, I don't want to say dangerous, but an equally destructive trade for both teams is sort of how you have to set it up. Does Tyler Myers have any value? I actually think he does. I think anytime you have that kind of size and look, I've seen his first few games of the season. I understand why Canucks fans are up in arms. I actually watched him really closely the day I was there in, in camp, and I just was like, I feel like this guy is going to have a big year, and and maybe I was mistaken on that. Maybe there's been an o- over early season overreaction. Maybe not. Maybe it's just time. Um, I, I think much in the same way of Garland, and it's it's really odd the circumstances that both of those two guys arrived Almost from the very first day they got there, they felt like square pegs in round holes. And I don't know why that is, because you would think that you'd be excited about signing a a marquee free agent like a Myers or acquiring Garland and then extending him in a, in a sign in an extension shortly thereafter that I think you're looking at that and you go, why, why hasn't there been any comfortability? Both these guys have been on edge since day one. Uh, Garland has acknowledged it. Myers, whether he said it publicly or not, has felt it. Um, but I do think that there's enough teams that are out there that are looking at their defense core saying, yeah, I don't, I could find it. I could find use for him. Um, you know, especially toward the bottom pairs on my team that, you know, ask less of him instead of 20 minutes a night, let's give him 16 that, you know, maybe the return is better. 
And if he were chained at the trade deadline, I think the hope was, Frank, to get him to the trade deadline where you could retain at that point because it's no skin off your back. Um, and and then you can actually ask for something in return. The question is, can they afford to wait till the trade deadline? Do they need to make changes before then just to, to, to help get a, a true top four defenseman in there? But let's go back to what we were just talking about with how the Canucks have structured their roster. Say whatever you want about Tyler Myers, but he's still better than Friedman, still better than mm-hmm. Juleson, still better than Breezeball. Like go through your depth chart, okay? And and maybe you kind of squinted at Breezeball, and I get it. Um, but I, I think the point is you want more bona fide NHL defensemen, not less. So what you'd be doing is then creating another problem to solve for, and maybe you can take that cap space and do it. But to think that you're going to pluck another top four defenseman from another team the way that you did last year with Philip Ronick, that doesn't come around all that often. You have to find a pretty unique scenario. And so what you don't want to do at the same time is cut the legs out from your team and their ability to compete for a playoff spot now that's what the Canucks are wrestling with. Yeah, I think we did. Uh, we looked at it before the Ronick acquisition. And I think it was something like six top four, or you could argue top four right shot defensemen moved in a calendar year uh, via trade and free agency and all of that. So you're right. And they are absolutely let, the scarcest commodity out there, and they are so difficult and expensive. Good ones, good ones, too. Yeah. Let me tell you the backstory to the Ronick transaction, because – it came together in such an interesting and fascinating way that the Red Wings had known from the Canucks, I don't know if it was the last six months or whatever it was, but the backstory is something like the Canucks had called about Heronic at a certain point and they were like, no, no, he's, you know, he's with us. He ain't going anywhere. And that I forget, was it deadline day or the day before? I think it was a couple of days before couple days before the timeline is a little bit screwed up for me, but the call came from Detroit to Vancouver and it was, Hey, are you still interested in Philip Ronick? And the answer was yes. And then it was, okay, here's what we want. Say yes now. And I won't advertise him to anyone else. He's yours. And the Canucks knowing how difficult it is to make a transaction like that, we're like, boom, that's it. On the spot, Frank. They said yes on Pretty the Pretty much. It was like, hey, I'll call you back in, in 30 minutes. I need to talk it over with my group. Yeah. This is what this is what we're doing. That's how much they knew that it's hard to yep. do this. Mm-hmm. And and remember the reaction in Vancouver? Everyone was like, look at how disjointed this is. You just took the pick from the Horvat trade and like you didn't even like you you it was like burning all people thought it was like burning a hole in their pocket. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it was these types of guys are difficult to get your hands on. And when you get an opportunity to, you probably don't say no. Yeah. And, and we had mentioned it. The previous off season had come and gone with a bunch of right shot defensemen moving via trade. Um, and the Canucks weren't involved in that. And then the Canucks didn't draft one. And so it became the big question. And it was really the big question when Trevor Linden and Jim Benning were, was here. And it just perpetuated through the early Rutherford Alvin era is where are the defensemen, particularly the right shot defensemen, 
Well, the good ones going like, to come from like even like Frank, even people are getting excited about guys like Andrew Peak, who are fine National Hockey League defensemen, but not mm-hmm. top four National Hockey League. Do the Canucks get better with Andrew Peak on the right side? Yes, they get better, but not like demonstrably. They don't all of a sudden become like de facto playoff contenders here because they've got Andrew Peak. Like getting good top four right shot defensemen, it just seems like it's a it's pie in the sky stuff. You have to draft them. Mm-hmm. That's really it. Like they yeah. so rarely become available that. You have to draft them and develop them. And that's why I actually really commend the Canucks in the last calendar year. I think they've inched closer and I think they are a playoff team because of the changes that they've made getting to that. You can't solve for all the problems in one shot. It doesn't happen. And that patience drives fans crazy because they see other player movement and transactions out there and they say, well, why can't we do that? And it's, cap space it's assets and picks it's who you have currently stacked up in your development roster like it there's a lot that goes into it but to shuffle out the non-nhl defensemen and get them out of the mix and out of the lineup as best as they can was a big step forward for this team now it's about trying to continue to build and add on to it. And, and in fairness, Ronick's been great this year. Uh, you know, we wondered what he'd be like coming off the injury to a new, you know, obviously uh, more intense market. He's been fantastic. They just need Tom um, Willander and Hunter Verstevich to not be 18 years old. They need them to be 21 right now and ready to pluck the fruit off the tree. That's all. I was going to say, and I don't want to add to anyone's anxiety, but now the problem is then you need to pay Philip now, Ronick. Yeah, now they yeah, need to pay and him. And then it we becomes have. this whole cycle over again that's like, this is why he's not in Detroit anymore. It's not that they didn't like him. It was no. just that they need to commit dollars to people for the long term. Mo Sider, who's going to be our top paid. What Go down the list. You structure out your cap over a five to seven year period and – I think they made a determination that we just don't want to allot these dollars. Yeah, and if you look at the Canucks cap friendly page, they have like thirty million plus in cap space next year. But of course, Lee Patterson and Phil Pronick <laughs> yeah. are going to eat like two thirds of that. So, yeah. and uh, then you've got the OEL buyout ratcheting up. Right, like it's, right. It just it doesn't ever end. Mm-hmm. Vicious cycle. Just lastly and quickly, I kind of like the fact that the NHL's draft, uh, the NHL draft is different than the NBA and the NFL. I like watching the business on the floor with the GMs and all that. Blake needs a better TV show. Uh, these changes to the draft and teams doing it from their own HQ as opposed to the draft floor. Where's all that coming from? Why, why do they want to make these changes? Well, part of it stemmed from the idea that the league still hasn't nailed down a host spot because there's things booked in Vegas that week. And so the genesis of the conversation in the BOG meeting was, well, if we don't have a spot yet, why don't we consider just doing it in a decentralized way where everyone can be in their home war room and practice facility or arena? And teams have found it incredibly disadvantageous having everyone 10 feet from everyone else trying to do what is arguably as we just talked about, some of the most important business that they do all year long, executing trades, making sure that your your draft list and, and where things are trending line up the way they should, having the ability to have a conversation across a room, um, it, it matters. And so there's that part of it. And then there's also the expense and human part of it of why are we taking 50 people in our organization and flying them to Nashville and then flying all 50 people back to our HQ 
to then have free agency in short order. And, oh, by the way, all of our important prospects are getting on the ice for development camp. Everyone's hair is on fire for a 10-day period in time where no one can catch their breath. And that's not what the point is to catch their breath. It's more so are we just better positioned for actually conducting business as opposed to worrying about what the optics look like. And I think the decentralized part is the way to go. I like having everyone together, but I just think. Do you think it'll happen for 2024 or is this a 25 thing? It's probably leaning towards 24, but there's a reason why they asked for these ballots to come back. It's a real simple check the box. Yes or no. Do you want it to be decentralized or say the same? And it's due on Tuesday because they want to know, hey, do we have to go crazy getting a facility if maybe we're going to do it differently from the start? Mm. And if you can adapt in a pandemic, you can adapt now. You don't need to wait till 2025. Great stuff, Frank. Thanks for this. Until next Friday. See you guys. Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group, and hashtags the best and worst of Twitter.com, brought to you by Jason Hominick, Jason.mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage but still need equity out of your house, Jason has a solution. You keep your great ec- your great rate, you access that equity, and without touching your existing mortgage. If your mortgage is up in the next six months, now's the time to reach out. Find him, Jason.mortgage. Um, start? Sure, you can start. Yeah, okay. I'm sure you start. What will the Hall of Fame class 2024 look like at Baseball Hall? The answer starts to come into focus now with the announcement of the eight candidates to be considered by the Contemporary Baseball Era Committee for Managers, Executives, and Umpires. And there are candidates here that both Blue Jays and Mariners fans can get behind. Cito Gaston, Mm -hmm. manager of the two-time World Series champions, is on this ballot. So is Sweet Lou Pinella, former Mariners manager, of course, won a World Series with... Cincinnati. Um, there's actually some really good managers. Jim Leland's on this list. Of course, won a World Series with Florida. Great success with the Pirates, Tigers. Country Joe West, the umpire is on here. Umpired more games than anyone else. The vote goes down December 3rd at the baseball winter meetings in Nashville. Your any candidate needs to receive 40 or 75% of the ballots cast by the committee and um, Bob Elliott, the longtime Toronto Sun baseball columnist, is on the committee. Um, it seems like a perfect time to, and I guess he took advantage of the Super 70 Sports tweeted out that, <laughs> Great every, every, or just that every baseball, old-timey baseball manager, looked. everyone looked like they were 75 years <laughs> of age, like it was mandatory. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. Jim Leland is chief amongst them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 75 years old from the time he was 40. So, Cito Gaston keeps score. He remembers slights. He will tell you how difficult it was for him as a a man of color to make his way up the ranks. Two-time World Series. I mean, for me, that's a no-brainer. And frankly, Pinnell is a no-brainer as well. One of the great characters in the history of the game. And, of course... Great success. As we mentioned with Cincinnati, he was the skipper of that 116-win Mariners team. So I would like to think that both those guys get in and that both Blue Jays and Mariners fans can make their way to Cooperstown this summer and salute. I mean, easily the two best managers with those franchises, right? Yep. 
Yeah, that's a fair, fair statement. At Big Head Hockey, Tim Stutzla since the 21-22 oh. season. Boy, I wasn't sure about this kid. I'm 82 <laughs> games he's played since 21-22. Yeah. 41 goals, 96 points. Mm-hmm. 28 even strength goals is more than Matt Kachuk. 63 even strength points is more than Mitch Marner. A 54.61 5v5 expected goals for its third among sense fours. He is 21 years old. And he's made a successful transition from wing to center. You know, he is like the classic example here, contemporary, of young player who's probably not ready for everything down the middle. Throw him on the wing. Let him play. Let him gain NHL experience. Let him see the game from that vantage point and then move him over to the middle where he can be even more dangerous. But you can like count on one hand the amount of guys 21 and under mm-hmm. that are effectively 100-point players. Uh, it's just unbelievable. And New York Times from The Athletic <laughs> earlier in the week. An NHL phys- official presented a video montage last month showing roughly 20 clips of coaching's Coaches going off on officials, fish shaking, fiery red faces, F-bombs flying. One coach put it, it was like getting called into the principal's office. We don't know who that NHL official was. They were admonished, though? I, I, wasn't, I don't think it would have been Batman. I don't think that's no. an issue that rises to the level. Daily might have. But it, it very well may have been at Gary's urging. Yeah. The irony is this happened on, um, it was earlier in the week. The Jets had lost a game that night. There were some awful calls in the game. And Rick Bonus was like literally biting his tongue not to say anything in the aftermath. We know the happy Haligodian can be fiery. Well, it's funny you say that too. When I think red face coached, I think Rick Bonus. On Tuesday versus the Flyers, um, anytime the Flyers got a call, mm-hmm. Um, like a penalty against them, or if there was a missed call, they panned to Torts, mm-hmm. and Torts was just leaning up against the glass, and he was shaking his head, like. But he was, it, it's like too, he was, it's like he was muzzled. He was just like he was showing disbelief, but in a very muted way. I gotta say, is Torts Zen now? Like his. Torts reached that age where he's mellowing out a bit. Yeah, that could be, or he, he just watched this movie and sounds awfully mellow, older and wiser. Well, I just Dick Vermeil transformation. Exactly. Yeah. When's he going to start crying? He's going to start crying. Those are my guys. I covered a football player up here uh, who played for Vermeil in Kansas City. Uh, Lawrence Tynes, the former kicker with the Giants, heroic kicker with the Giants, that NFC Championship game. Maybe he's just happy with his team's performance. Big win versus yeah, the Oilers last night. And I said to Lawrence, "How many times is like you were there three years? How many times did you see Vermeil cry?" And he said, "Matt, Dick cried every single time he addressed the team. Every single time. He's like the guy was just so happy to be back in that." position because of course yeah. he coached the Eagles to the early 80s and then took what 15 20 years off before you know, people didn't think he'd coach again he was such a great broadcaster too he was like he just you know that responsibility of being the leader of men yes and getting to speak to them was so <laughs> profound with Dick that he was emotionally overcome 
each and every time he talks to I mean, that's awesome. Power to him. <laughs> At Whitecaps FC, Whitecaps FC are wishing Pink a speedy recovery. Oh, boy. To I... support her fans missing the concert, we would like to give away four pairs of tickets to our Vancouver Whitecaps match at DC Place this Saturday. <laughs> Very good. Retweet this poster, yada, yada, yada. Uh, free now. You've got some time now. Yes. I was talking to a friend... Wednesday, and she was very excited about going to the Pink concert. Well, she puts on quite a show. Wow, I watched the documentary. Well, wires, right? Like, yes. doesn't she fly Trapeze. over the crowd? Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's in the bad. rain too. I like. I, I watched the documentary. She's like in a pouring rainstorm in like Amsterdam, and she's still on the wires. It's mm-hmm. very dangerous. Okay, are you out? Yeah, the last one. And I, and I'll read the quote tweet. Journalism is back. You'll get it here in a second. A Philadelphia Eagles reporter by the name of Bo Wolf, thought, yeah, I'll have some fun in the locker room today. Halloween coming up. And he went around and asked players, if you could Freaky Friday switch bodies with a teammate, who would it be? Offensive tackle Jordan Mailata. Is this past or current teammates? Wolf, you can do past. My my Alada. Nick Foles. <clears throat> Wolf. Enough said. My Alada. Enough said. BDN, baby. BDN? B D N. Nick Foles was blessed even before he won that Super Bowl. If you catch Jordan's big donkey energy. That was that was the criteria for him for Freaky Friday, really. Switch bodies. Whose body do you want to live in for a day? <laughs> BDN. Okay. And that's hashtags. Yeah, get me out of here. For today. <laughs> Joined now by our Canucks reporter, Jeff Patterson of Rinkwide. He'll be back at it tomorrow with Chris Faber, sitting in as the guest co-host. First time for Faber against the Florida Panthers. We'll talk about the game against the Tampa Bay Lightning last night. Jeff, how are you? Doing well, guys. What to do with Tyler Myers here? He made his Herbodog bowl question, and uh, hey, give him a little credit. He scored one of the goals last night. But our Bodog poll question, what's the best course of action with Tyler Myers? Cut his ice time? Healthy scratch, trade, or just leave him be? What says you, Jeff? I think that uh, you have to leave him be for the time being. I just don't think there's a trade market right now. We know that uh, they tried through the summer. Uh, I think you got to get to the 20-game mark, and teams sort of have to figure out who they are and what they are, and maybe at that point some trade opportunities present themselves. But in the short term, uh, he's not going anywhere. And so you could scratch him for a game. Like I don't have an issue with that. The Canucks did that with Oliver ekman Larson at a point last year where it just reached that point where even a veteran guy had to be sent a message. But you have to ask yourself, if you take Tyler Myers out of the lineup, are you prepared to go into NHL action with Noah Juleson and Mark Friedman as two of your right side guys? And as poor as the decisions were by Tyler Myers against Tampa Bay, and it hasn't been a great start to the season for him, I get that. Uh, look, he's 34. He's got almost a thousand games of NHL experience. Juleson and Friedman combined have about a hundred. Uh, you know, it's just, it's not as simple as sit him down and get him out of there 
because the options aren't all that uh, palatable behind him. And again, yeah. it just it comes right back to the same discussion we've had really since the start of the season about that right side and about moving the pieces and the you know defense by committee and all those things. When you pair Quinn Hughes and Philip Aronik, it just exposes weaknesses elsewhere in the lineup. And I don't think anybody really liked the idea of Tyler Myers in the top four for the Vancouver Canucks, but that's where he's been to start this season and you're going to get nights, and you're going to get decisions, and you're going to get mistakes like you did in Tampa Bay. So have we given up on the idea that one of these free agent lefties can flip over and play the right side, or you just don't you think that continues to be a non-starter for Rick Tockett, at least in the interim here? Yeah, I mean, that conversation has died down a little bit, but it may have to be revisited, but it does seem like we know he wants the righty-lefty uh, equality, and if that's the way he wants to approach these games, then he has, uh, you know, it gets pretty thin in terms of the, the choices that he's got over on that right side. So, you know, when I say, to answer your poll question about what to do with Myers, I say you're going to have to live with him, but I would suggest that as a team, the Vancouver Canucks play better, spend less time in their own zone, more time in the attacking zone, draw some penalties so that they're on the power play, and guess what? All of a sudden, Tyler Myers isn't defending as much as he is right now, uh, although easier said than done because part of the reason that they're spending time in their own zone and not moving to the attack is because this defense core outside of Quinn Hughes not transitioning pucks, getting pinned in their own zone. But I do think overall team play, they are playing with fire, just getting outshot as badly as they are. And if they could transition the puck and start to play in the other half of the ice, then that takes the workload off their goaltenders, but it also takes some of the heat off the guys that play defense for this hockey club. His uh, his mistakes are so loud. Sometimes it's um, it's hard to avoid Tyler Myers. I, I do wonder at some points if it's just a case of us concentrating on him so much. I think uh, Lucas Spiza was a victim to this. Like we just watched every nuance of Lucas Spiza's play and picked it apart mercilessly. Uh, I think Myers is suffering from that a little bit. Although he doesn't help himself when the the mistakes are, are just so loud, Jeff. I mean, it's. Uh, uh, you know, there is a, an element of sympathy to be had here, but at the same time, he doesn't help himself either. Not only are the mistakes loud, but they put Elias Pettersson in peril physically. There's that too, yes. But you're right. Like, I mean, just the fact that he is a giant on skates, you are drawn, your eyes are drawn to him. And and so yes. there's nothing he can do about that. That's who he is. Uh, those are the genes that he was born with. But ultimately, it comes down to processing this game at the speed at which the NHL game is played. And He's going to be 34 here. He's not going to improve in that facet. And so when I say you have to kind of live with them, you do have to be prepared that there are going to be questionable decisions with and without the puck. And we saw, uh, you know, two grand examples of that the, with the puck on the, the first goal, the giveaway. And then without the puck, as he goes and, you know, joins the fray and ultimately pins Elias Pettersson on the penalty kill and, and that allowed Tampa to outnumber the Canucks down low. So you'd like him just to somehow find a way to simplify and eliminate some of those massive dis mistakes. But the game is fast. It comes at you quickly. And that has been the issue in his time in Vancouver, certainly. And it probably predates his time in Vancouver. I didn't watch every game that he played for Winnipeg or Buffalo. But that's where he gets into trouble, is just try to process things. And if you're a beat late at the NHL level, you know, the opponents are on you. Then you're forced to make plays that you don't want to make. So when he had time and space, like he did on the penalty kill on that first goal, just like free reign to blast it as hard as he could 200 feet down the ice. Eliminate any of the, you know, the misfortune that he invited with the pass into traffic that ultimately a few minutes later winds up in the back of the net. 
a Lucas Krychek flipper for heaven's sakes. But I think that I think that that's where um, Tyler Myers, um, the twenty-five-year-old, creeps into his head a little bit when he was a far more dynamic player. And I think he might still be thinking of himself in those terms when he used to make a spectacular pass, when he used to skate end to end and was getting half a point per game. Um, that's just not him anymore. And I wonder if it's uh, it's tough for him to think classing out sometimes. Uh-huh. Longing for the days of youth, aren't we all? Um, yes, but, exactly. But you're right. I mean, there may be a little bit of that that, hey, I used to be able to do this in my own mind. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the game is faster, way faster now than it yeah. was uh, back then, even a few years ago. And so you're right. But I, I just think at this stage of his career, and I've asked you guys this before, like, this is the final year of his contract. We know that. I mean, the league is getting younger. Big guys do seem to get opportunities, but I'll be really curious to see if there's a contract for Tyler Myers after this one. We saw some really good players that had to go to camps on PTOs. Again, they don't make them like Tyler Myers, and so his size and his reach and everything else probably gets him one more contract. I don't think it'll be here in Vancouver, but I will be fascinated to see where it goes, and ultimately, a lot of that will be determined by the remaining 78 games of this Vancouver Canucks schedule, he has to be better. I mean, there can't be many more nights like that because, honestly, if you just look at the, the strip it all down to its basics, the Canucks scored three goals on the road and got that kind of goaltending from Thatcher Demko and skate out of Tampa with nothing. I, I think that effort and three goals on the road with that kind of goaltending would probably get a lot of games to overtime at the very least so that they get something yes. out of it. And unfortunately for them... You know, they give up the two power play goals. Myers is central in both of them, and you just can't. You can't uh, survive in the National Hockey League spotting your opponents uh, two on the special teams, and that's ultimately what the Canucks did last night. And so, uh, again, I had no issue with the uh, the effort. I know Rick Tockett postgame, he tried to play up the positives, but uh, ultimately it mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, fine lines and margins at this level, and you make those kinds of mistakes that wind up in your net. Uh, it's going to be tough to overcome those. Uh, Pedersen's tied for the league lead in scoring. He's also joined Hank and Danny as the only Canuck with six or more assists through the first four games of a season. And yet I saw you and others wondering yesterday, Jeff, whether he's 100% after taking that shot from Myers. Uh, A word or two about his performance, a word or two about what you think is going on physically with Elias. Yeah, I don't think he's 100%. I mean, he had played seven and a half minutes at even strength through the first couple of periods. They were down in the third, so they leaned on him and he played... Uh, almost that much in the third period alone. And he winds up in on two of the three goals, the primary assist on the Myers goal and then the secondary assist on the JT Miller goal. But they score three, and he picks up two more points. He's up to eight through four games. I mean, how can you argue with two points per game? And yet anybody, and certainly our listeners and you guys, I mean, we've all watched him through his time in the NHL. Uh, He has burst onto the scene as a legitimate star in this league with such dynamic performances that's what seems to be missing right now in his game. Like there isn't that PD magic that I refer to. There aren't two or three plays per game right now where you're just left shaking your head and the other team is also shaking its head. Like, where did he go? Uh, and and I think the other way to look at it is he's picking up his points, but Andre Kuzmenko has been remarkably quiet. Connor Garland has been remarkably quiet. He's not elevating the two guys that he's been playing with the most. And so if this isn't Elias Pettersson at 100%, I mean, we all have look forward to the fact that he gets back to, to full health and the points are there for him. But I just think there's enough of a body of work uh, to his game now to know when he's totally dialed in and whether it was being felled by the Myers shot in Philadelphia 
whether this is the lingering effects. Remember, he missed basically an entire week, the second week of the preseason. Uh, was sick for that game out in Abbotsford. I don't know if he would have played there anyhow, but uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I know he's been asked about the illness, and he's kind of downplayed it. And he, nobody was talking about an illness on opening night. Well, they were for Demko, but you know, he had four points on opening night and looked pretty good then. But he's just been a little bit quiet in terms of carrying these games. But the underlying numbers were terrific last night. His his line spent most of its time in the offensive zone. So. You know, I don't. I want to be careful here. I'm certainly not trying to cut him down at all. It's just that I think he's raised the bar so high for himself in this market and in this league now that you know when he's not at the top of his game. Uh, but it shouldn't be too long, I don't think, before he gets there. And that's the good news. He he clearly has to be close, given uh, the underlying numbers, given the counting stats. I mean, he's in and around it. And uh, it could be scary once he does find his... Uh, yeah, his and, and the fact that they had just one power play last night and got shut yeah. out in Philadelphia. So, you know, if this team starts to generate some points in the power play, you have to think he's going to be in the middle of that. And again, it's not point production, but boy, wouldn't that be something if, it, you know, maybe just to get the good vibes going with the man advantage to spend more time in the attacking zone, uh, you know, with other good players and, and try to sort of find that feeling again because I, I want the PD magic. I want to see those flashes again. Mm. Those seem to be missing from his game right now. Yeah. yeah. And talk it, I mean, mentioned in the post game last night, we've got to stop getting out power played here. There's too many power plays against not enough, but they're moving their feet. Enough he to get he the wasn't play. very, uh, he wasn't most happy with the officiating yesterday either, but that's uh, not the reason they speaking lost. Speaking of magic, uh, the goaltender has it and he's, we've seen him in fine form before, uh, the the bubble most notably perhaps um but beyond that as well i'm sure so i'm not going to get too hyperbolic here and say that this is the best we've ever seen him but this would probably be in the collection of the greatest weeks or fortnights of of demko's career he just looks like he has got everything dialed in right now yeah and i think has since you know i I mean i try not to judge the work of goaltenders in training camp when it was essentially just practice drills but through the preseason i thought his appearances in the preseason he looked sharp and focused and he has certainly carried that in didn't make it out of opening night due to the illness but is showing no ill effects there uh in the two starts since and and that's what's disappointing as good as he's been his win-loss record is one and two he deserves better and you hope that he can just keep his game at that level and the rest of the guys in front of him can get their games to some sort of level like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the save that he makes on Stamkos before uh, ultimately Nick Paul is able to shove home the rebound on the opening goal. I mean, spectacular stuff. You know, there have been a few jaw-dropping saves each and every night out for Thatcher Demko. So yeah, good sign for him, especially when you compare it to where he was at this time a year ago. He was scuffling. Obviously, the team was scuffling. And then he got hurt. And we know that the season essentially was flushed. So uh, hopefully for him, he can stay healthy. He can keep his game at or near this level because uh, there's no doubt. I mean, he gives the connect just based on you know track record. The connect should have had an edge in goal last night, and unfortunately for them, Demko performed to the point that I think you know he could have delivered a result. But again, you give up four and you only score three. The math just doesn't add up uh, in that regard. So yeah, he's been really good for them. I, I, I think we have to start looking at this hockey club, though, guys. Like. The further we get from opening night, like hold it in your heart. It was fun. It was uh, you know eight goals, but they have seven goals since then in three games. So yeah, you know, I think the real Canucks are are standing up here a little bit. And obviously, eight's going to be the outlier. It was they only got eight once last year. 
Uh, you know, they're going with to have a team safe. Well, we said it the day after a seven goal win will probably be the biggest win of right. the season in, in game one. And, and there's their team save percentage on the season is like 932. No, like, I, I, guys, <laughs> guys, Patrick Nemco, incredible. Elias Pettersson, elite, tied for the league lead in points. Talk it last night, called the JT Miller line dominant, and they have been. Yeah. It's the same old, same old yeah, with right. this group. It's the bottom six outage. It's not good enough on defense. Speaking of forwards, Beauvillier, and I saw you wrote about him the other day, Garland, Kuzmenko, who are you most worried about right now? Yeah, I'm not worried about Kuzmenko. I think it'll come for him, but just he had a really strange night last night in Tampa where he was the Corsi darling. His individual Corsi was 80%. I think the shot attempts were 16-4 to with Kuzmenko on the ice at even strength. And he had the Louis Erickson. He had the completely blank stat line. So... How does that mm-hmm. mesh with spending that much time in the offensive zone and not putting a single puck to the net? Now, we know he's not a volume shooter, but still, that, that seems strange to me that he didn't have any sort of significant impact on the stat sheet. Forget about the scoreboard, but you know, a goal of two points through four games now for him. I want to see him dangerous. I want to see him put in positions to, to shoot the puck. So, you know, it's been... It has been a little bit of a quiet start. I think a lot of people thought there'd be some regression there, and, and maybe this is an indication of that. Again, I think Elias Patterson at even strength, uh, he'll get to a point where he does elevate whoever he's playing with. Connor Garland doesn't seem like a fit on that line. Boy, have you ever heard that before, unfortunately. And I know that there's so much noise around him, but it just it, it is the square peg in the round hole wherever he plays up and down this lineup. There just doesn't seem to be things happening for him and around him. And Beauvillier has been disappointing. I thought he was better last night. I think the coach thought he was better. He was asked about him post-game. He seemed a little more invested last night. Now, this is an NHLer getting paid $4 million plus. He damn well better be invested almost every night. But he had a really quiet preseason. And the first three games of the year, there just was nothing there at Anthony Beauvillier's game. So uh, better last night. Hopefully a step in the right direction for him. But talk it was asked post-game about, like, is that enough from guys like Beauvillier and Joshua that you notice them and that they're digging in a little bit. And the coach said to a point, but at some point as well on those nights where Brock Besser is not scoring, you know, his five goals in four games and other guys are held quiet. You know, why did they beat the Oilers on Saturday? Because depth guys rose up. Now they're not going to rise up every night, but Anthony Beauvillier is somewhere between a depth guy on this team and somebody that you would expect to produce at a certain level. Uh, It's just been a really, really quiet start for him as uh, he's kind of stumbled out of the blocks here. So I guess of the three that you mentioned, I, I still need to see more from Anthony Beauvillier. And I thought I was telling the talk it began praising Beauvillier and then quickly shifted to Dakota Joshua and ultimately said, look, uh, it's one thing for that line to saw off the opposition. At some point, you need some production. Last question from me. And he called him Joshua get- Dakota again. And even he- I know, like- and, but he admonished himself, Jeff. He, he said, <laughs> I got to get that right. Just stick with Dakota then. Just like eliminate, <laughs> exactly. eliminate one of the names. Simplify. We're talking about Tyler Meyer simplifying. The coach should simplify as well. Hey. Just call him Dakota. Benning, how many mispronunciations for how many years with guys I who had know. been with them three or four years? So, but that one um, is so lastly, clearly in his head. Like, no, just- I know, I know, no, I know. He shook. <laughs> um, outside of getting beaten up and really taking a nasty, gratuitous punch to the back of the head at the end of that fight, what did you make of Mark Friedman's first NHL game or first Canucks game? Yeah, you know, it's funny to me, and we discussed him on Required. But very much the eye test versus the the underlying numbers, the underlying numbers were brutal. Uh, the Canucks were outshot 8 nothing 
in 15 minutes of even strength ice time with Friedman on the ice. And yet I never felt like it was a carnival in his own zone. I didn't feel that the Canucks were completely under siege and underwater. And I thought it was relatively quiet. So he was on the ice for the Essamont goal and probably gave Essamont a little too much space as he raced down that left side. That was a good shot. And I'm sure Demko would like to think that he makes that save on a, a lot of occasions. But, you know, for a guy that got dealt, had to drive across the state to join the team in Philly to fly to Tampa, gets one practice, and then gets thrown in against a, a Lightning team that has the, the championship chops, you know, that's a tough assignment for anybody. So I want to be careful, and I, I want to cut him a little bit of slack with the extenuating circumstances. I, I just know that there can't be a lot of nights where the team's getting outshot 8 nothing when he's on the ice in limited minutes. But, you know, where Noah Juleson was caught pinching and, you know, the penalty shot goal in Philadelphia. I didn't think that his decision-making hurt him in any way. And so I think there is some promise there. And yeah, I mean, you know, trying to get in the good books with his coaching staff and teammates dropping the gloves. Tanner Janot is a tough customer, we know. Uh, Gave up some size there. Came out on the short end, but, uh, you know, the old size of the dog thing. Uh, He'll get some marks as uh, he tries to make his way into this lineup and stay in this lineup. So, um, you know, I'd like to see him again, I guess, just, you know, as things sort of settle down around him and he settles in. Uh, it's a, a day off for the team in Fort Lauderdale, so no practice. So that's not going to make life a whole lot easier for for Mark Friedman because uh, he could probably benefit from a few practices here, having not played uh, in the NHL before the trade this year. So, you know, he was chasing the game a little bit, but uh, I think there were some signs there. And I thought as the game went along, uh, he got a little bit better, maybe just kind of caught up to the speed of the game. So, uh, see, yeah. I, I wouldn't like to, I wouldn't like to see him again, Jeff. <laughs> like wow. I, I'd like to see an NHL defenseman there bumping Tyler Myers down to the third, third pair. pair. Yeah. Understandable. And, uh, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and again, nothing personal on, on Freeman. I just think. Well, even Alvin calls he's him a, repl- a seventh defenseman. Right. He's a so, replacement I mean, yeah. level defenseman, and right. they're leaning on these guys. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. Uh, Got to get better there. Yeah. Um, Jeff, marvelous stuff. Thank you for this. We'll be listening with Faber tomorrow, rink-wide, after the Panthers and Canucks. We'll catch up with you on this show on Monday. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. The strangest thing, I do not have an error and omission from yesterday's program. Whatever errors and omissions we made, I think we corrected in real time. Grady? Inbox? Nada. Nada? Nothing? Hmm. Oh. Spectacular. Yeah, no. What a performance. Inaccurate. Demko-like performance. Right. Time for Blake's Bodog line of the day, then. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds, who you like, what you got. I'm going exact score, Whitecaps and LAFC. I think I got this. Goals, right? They've got to score goals. They they can throw caution to the wind and yeah. just go for the win because the tie does not help them. And, this, and a loss doesn't hurt. Them. So they're going to expose themselves a little bit. So there's going to uh-huh. be goals scored. Love Three, it. two, Love Whitecaps, it. plus 1,700. Oh, brilliant. There's not often I look over at you on a Bodog line of the day and go, yes, yeah, he's got it. Once per week here in awe, I think. Once per week, maybe. Well, we one for yeah, five? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll take it. you got to be about 57% to be a pro gambler. but ah, if you That's it. if you're betting the same if, amount on every game. That's right. right. If you're and getting odds like that. Exactly. You can, yeah. If that's your hit. 
on your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local. <laughs>